Welcome to the Declaration Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message encourages you and blesses you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit us at declaration.org. Welcome to Declaration this morning on this Palm Sunday. We're so honored that you chose to spend some time with us. And if this is your first time uh, checking out digital, online, all that good stuff, we want to say welcome home to you. In fact, right where you are, just reach across the couch or, or wherever you are and give a high five to somebody in your family and maybe do a virtual high five to everybody. Make sure you chime in there on the comments. Say hello to us. Tell us where you're from. And uh, man, we want to interact with you as we get into the Word this morning. I want to start, I know it's a serious time. Time, but man, sometimes we just need to laugh a little bit. So I want to start with a little story I read this, this last week about Palm Sunday. There was a little boy who got sick, unfortunately, and could not go to church on Palm Sunday. And so his dad took his sister, mom stayed home with him because he was not feeling well. And, and after the service was over, um, sister and dad comes home. A sister comes in, she's waving these palm branches and you know she's just doing this dance and, and, and singing these songs. And all of a sudden, little brother says, well, what are those? What's that for? What are you doing? And the sister says, well, hello, I mean, this is what we do. We, we wave palms and then we, we lay these palms down and, and it welcomes Jesus. That's what we did at church today. We, we wave the palms and we laid them down and it, it welcomed Jesus. Obviously, she's very proud of all the things that she learned at church that day. And the little boy gets really upset and he, he starts kind of crying and suddenly he just burst out of the room. He's so upset while his sister's still proudly waving these palms all around and, and doing her dance and singing her songs, very proud of what she learned. And, and so mom quickly runs in there, the little boy, and she kind of scoops him up and holds him and says, now tell me what's wrong. What, what's going on? Why are you so upset? And that little boy through his tears looks square at his mom and he says, well, wouldn't you know on the one Sunday I could not go to church, Jesus showed up just like that. Yep. Telling jokes in an empty room, everybody. It's a good time. So, um, in my mind, though, I'm imagining that you hysterically just laughed either with me or at me. And so thank you for humoring me, at least, as I said, in my mind. But seriously, today is the day that we celebrate Jesus showing up. And I want you to think about that. We celebrate Jesus showing up, making his triumphal entry. And my prayer this morning is that you know that Jesus has showed up. He is here. He, he's in our churches. He's in our homes. He's in our hearts. He's in our hospitals right now. Uh, he's, he's in our minds. Um, he's with your jobs. He's with your, your financial situations. He is here. He has shown up. In fact, it's like the little song says, he's got the whole world in his hands and he is with us. So whatever pain we may be feeling, the suffering that some of us are enduring, the sickness that's happening all around us, the, the death count that we see on the news that is deeply troubling, I just need, I need you to know that Jesus, he's with us. He knows about every single one of these things. Um, he's not ambivalent to this, to our situation. In fact, um, these are the very reasons that, that Jesus came in the first place. It's the very reasons why he decided to make this triumphal entry and to live into what God had called him to do. Now listen, traditionally, we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, and we think that that's when he came, and it is. But biblically, we're going to celebrate the consummation of God's plan for redeeming creation at this time of the year that we call Easter. And um, that's the whole world will be celebrating Easter together next Sunday. In fact, I want to invite you to come back and be a part of celebrating Easter with us here at Declaration. 
But this Sunday we call Palm Sunday. And it's the Sunday before Easter that, that kind of enters into what we call Holy Week, where we honor the steps that Jesus took as, as he was moving toward enduring the cross on our behalf. And, and it's the day, Palm Sunday, it's the day that we remember and celebrate where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And, and as he does that, he's entering in as Savior and King. It was an announcement of sorts. As Jesus rode in on this donkey into the town of Jerusalem, when at that time of the year, during Passover, an already crowded city would swell with an overwhelming number of people. And this very moment was filled with people who had already heard about Jesus. They had heard about the miracle um, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so here he is riding into town, arriving, um, announcing his arrival as Savior and King. This large crowd begins to wave these palm branches as well as literally they take they take their clothes and they lay them out before him and they lay palms before him as if they are giving him a royal treatment. And I want to read it together with you from the book of Matthew chapter 21 out of the CSB version. It says this, when they, basically Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, I want you to go into the village, go into the village. At once, you're going to find a donkey tied there with her colt untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, verse three says, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd began to spread their clothes on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading those on the road. Then the crowds went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray together for just a moment. Father, would you speak to us this morning on this Palm Sunday? God, give us um, a heart of anticipation, of expectation, and God, I pray that you'd move in us. Holy Spirit, would you empower your word this morning to see that we, we can prepare the way. God, that we may prepare the way just as we see in your word today. We pray all this in your name. Jesus. Amen. Amen. So here's the first thing that I want us to, to really understand today. In all of this, no matter what we see happening right now all around us, no matter what we're seeing happening in the news and what our perception of reality of the world, here's what I want us to understand is this. Number one, God has a plan. God has a plan. It's just like we talked about last week in the message. If you weren't with us last week, go back and listen to that podcast. I hope that it encourages you. But last week we said, seeing clearly requires sitting still. And we came out of Psalm 46, powerful passage. See, we need to be still before God. We, we need to know God so that we can receive proper perspective of the situation that we're seeing in the natural I believe God's at work even when we can't see it. I believe God is working. And listen to me, take heart with me, please. God is at work right now among us. He's all around us. Um, he, he's working in and through the situation that we all find ourselves in right now. It may not 
feel like it. It may not seem like it, but we can always lean on um, the, the truth of what we know spiritually, not what we can see naturally. See, sometimes our experiences don't match our expectations, and that's exactly what happens in our story today. So let's break this down a little bit. I'm going to, you know, this story we find in all four Gospels. We, we came out of um, the book of, 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 of Matthew, but I want to go to the book of Luke and look at it from his account, from his perspective. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 29, says this. Jesus and his disciples, they they approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. See, here's another piece of information that we didn't get in the first one that we read. Go find this colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me, he says. If anyone asks you, why are you untying this? Say this, say, the Lord needs it. Almost as if it's a code phrase, if that. So, so basically, they're to say, the Lord needs it. So those who sent left, and they found it, just as he had told them, and, and they, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying this, untying this colt? Sure enough, verse 34, the Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. So just right here in just a few verses, there's some things I want to point out, things that I want you to see. So Jesus and his guys, they're, they're continuing on towards Jerusalem, which we know to have been Jesus' ultimate destination. We see this in Luke chapter 9, I think verse 51. And it says this, when, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. So this would be his final, ultimate destination here. And as they approach these two cities, Bethphage and Bethany, Bethany is the home, we know, of, of some of Jesus' dearest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is the one that we read of in John chapter 11, where miraculously Jesus rose him from the dead. And that news had actually spread, which is the cause of, of not just, you know, obviously Passover, but this is also a cause of all these people swelling in to, to, to see Jesus that we're reading about in the story. So these cities, being only about a mile apart, Bethphage and Bethany, um, this is where we see Jesus send these two disciples on their mission to get this colt, this young donkey, verse 30, a young donkey, a colt on which no one had ever sat. And Jesus says, untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying this? Just say, the Lord needs it. See, by this time, Jesus is extremely well known. Everyone's coming to Jerusalem for Passover. They have heard of him, and we'll see, um, at least for a time, the mood is pretty favorable towards Jesus. So to hear the Lord needs it, that's, that's all the disciples had to say, and this cult's owner would gladly turn the animal over to them. Now, a couple things. It, it's, it's not really known if this is because of supernatural means that this guy would willingly just give his cold. It's, it's, it, it, you know, maybe it's, it's because of Jesus' fame at this point. Others think that maybe um, it, it was, it, Jesus had been there previous, on previous journeys and he had made prior arrangements. Remember, God had a plan and, and it's just possible that Jesus had made some prior arrangements. But we do know, of course, yes, God had a plan and that plan was about to come into fruition through Jesus. And I love the symbolism of the cult. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this donkey. A few things to understand. Now, first of all, much like in our culture, donkeys are not, these are not clean animals. We don't look at them as, uh, you know, most people don't look at them as having great value. Um, in, in this day, donkeys were not considered to be dirty animals 
like we think of them. In fact, for a Jew in this day, according to 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33 and verse 44, what we think is a lowly animal to them, a donkey was an animal really fit for a king. Look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33. The king said to them, notice, the king said to them, take my servants with you. Have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. So see right there in verse 33, the king is the one saying, have him ride on my colt. Okay, verse 44, 1 Kings chapter one. And with Solomon, the king has sent the priest Zadok to the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have had him ride on, look what it says, the king's mule. So see, Jesus knew by choosing a colt to ride on, this would be a, a signal of nobility. Only in war, in this time, only in war did a king ride a horse. But when a king wanted to come in peace, they rode on a donkey. So by this action right here, Jesus is saying, I'm coming as, as the king of love. I'm coming in peace. I'm coming to bring peace. I'm not coming as a conquering military hero, some political hero. I'm not coming in that way, the way that the crowds were really expecting and waiting for. Remember I said, sometimes our expectations don't match up to our experiences. So here's Jesus. I'm coming in peace. See, only animals that had not been used for ordinary purposes were appropriate for sacred purposes. This is why it was so important. We see that other piece of information from the book of Luke. Find me the donkey that had never been sat on. It had not been used for anything ordinary at that point, so therefore it would be appropriate for something sacred. Numbers chapter 19 verse 2 shows us this. Look at it. Here's another legal requirement commanded by the Lord. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to, or tied into a plow to do work. See, it also speaks to that in Deuteronomy chapter 21 as well, not to mention the significance of an unblemished animal. Other interesting things to note is this. The whole thing, this whole operation had to be done rather quietly. It had to be done rather quietly. Understand, it's a very carefully planned um, thing that's happening here. It's not sudden. It's not impulsive. The, at this time, religious leaders had basically vowed to excommunicate anyone that they had found to be following Jesus, and Jesus knew that. So by executing this plan, this was an act of glorious defiance against a religious spirit, and it also was an act of huge courage. See, up to this point in Jesus's ministry, he, he had not sought to openly be called the Messiah, but we, now we see a shift. Not only does Jesus allow it, but it's now it's as if he encourages it. Everything he did over the course of these days was by design to call attention to the fact that he was indeed the Messiah. Jesus was a deliberate claim. He was, he was deliberately claiming here that he was the king. So he had a goal and that was to go into Jerusalem and to present himself to the religious leaders as the Messiah. So much so, now he had walked all the way, this whole journey, he had walked all the way from Galilee. And here about a mile out, he decides to switch. He's going to ride on this colt. He's going to take that last mile trip into the city on the back of this donkey. Make no mistake, listen. This was a deliberate gesture 
filled with meaning for the Jews. As it was declaring the fulfilling of a picture that we see in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Look at that with me. Right there, here, here's a prophetic word. It says, rejoice greatly from the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Pretty powerful there. See, the crowds would understand this symbolism And so would the religious leaders. It was also one last appeal Jesus was making. In his actions, he's he's coming with these pleading hands, these outstretched arms saying, even now, will you not take me as your king? So see, before human hatred would engulf him, once again, he confronts people with a divine invitation based on a deep love for them. God had a plan. And his plan was to make a way to reconcile mankind back to himself. And that plan was Jesus. And why? Why did he need this this plan? Why was this plan in motion? Why Jesus? It's because of our brokenness. Because of our brokenness. See, to, to, to truly appreciate the gravity of God's goodness in him having a plan We have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse seven, when everything was broken. It was the moment in history when we see original sin enter into the canvas of creation, Adam and Eve, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, choosing rebellion, choosing defiance, choosing disobedience, choosing self-gratification, which was basically choosing for the rest of mankind sin and shame and sickness and destruction and disease and even death. It was because of this that there would have to be a way to restore mankind relationship back to God. So the plan God had, Jesus, Jesus, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. See, God had a plan in Jesus, and here's the good news. Jesus is still his plan for today. Right now, where we are in this moment, can I tell you, listen, Jesus is still God's plan. Let's keep going and see what happens. Verse 35. So they bring this colt to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they help Jesus get up onto it. And as he's going along, they begin to spread clothes and all along the road. And, and, and I want you to see something beautiful about those two verses right there. These people, they take their own clothes and they place them upon the donkey and they place them upon the ground for Jesus. It's an act of them spreading their cloaks on the ground. This is a sign of respect. It's them paying homage, so to speak. And now we've seen this biblically before in 2 Kings, I believe, chapter 9. And we see where it says in verse 13, each man quickly took his garment and put it under Jehu on the bare steps. They blew the ram's horn and proclaimed Jehu is king. See, as we've seen this before, now we see it again with Jesus. Yet another sign of the people declaring Jesus as king. They were preparing the way here, putting out their clothes, laying out these palms. They were making a path of honor for Jesus. This is the second thing that we can take away from this passage, I believe, is this. That we too have the privilege to prepare the way for Jesus. We have the privilege of preparing the way for Jesus. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we prepare the way for Jesus? That's how we live. 
how we love, how we worship, how we serve, how we sacrifice, how we give of ourselves, how we show the world who God is, that, that our lives would be this fragrant aroma of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So back to our story from Luke chapter 19. And look at this. If you've ever wondered where our vision statement from our church comes from, to love God, serve people, and live loud, you're going to see it right here in Luke chapter 19, verse 37. Look what it says. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully, and it says, with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. This is exactly why we say love God, serve people, and live loud. That we would, that we would praise God joyfully, um, and they were with a loud voice for all the miracles that we've seen. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. So I want you to imagine this scene with me. Jesus is riding in through this mass of people. Some people laying their clothes and shawls and palms on the ground. And some throwing these things. They're throwing these palms. They're, they're shouting. They're chanting. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest Basically saying salvation, Messiah, promised one. In Matthew 21, from where we began, same story, different version. It says in verse 9, Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So they're praising, yes, but they're also praying, because Hosanna, this could also translate to Lord, save us now. So of course, praise be you, God. Praise be you. But also, Lord, save us. Save us now in this hour. Save us in this moment of need. They're, they're shouting an adaptation of Psalm 118, starting in verse 25 and 26. It says, Lord, save us. This is what they're saying. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. Please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. He who comes in the name of the Lord is more than satisfying, more than able from the house of the Lord. We bless you. That's what they're saying. See, I think that this is a good and very relevant posture for us right now. I think we should take a cue from this. To be praising God for who he is and all he's done, but also to be crying out to God, Lord, save us now. Save us now. And in that, that we'd be preparing a way for the Lord to work as he desires. Now listen, it keeps going and it's powerful. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, these religious leaders are basically saying, hey, Jesus, rebuke your followers. Shut them up, rebuke them. See, they recognize the symbolism of Jesus' manner of arrival as well as this, the, the messianic overtones in the cries of the crowd. Also, there's some fear in the fact that these followers are shouting praise to the king. It could, I mean, it could incite a, a, a violent response from the Romans. So they say, rebuke them, Jesus. Tell them, Jesus. Because, see, they recognize that they are literally powerless to stop the people from giving praise to him. And look, look at how Jesus responds in verse 40. He says, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Basically alluding to a passage in Habakkuk. 
His reply to the Pharisees accepts the people's praises as appropriate, implying that he is Israel's true king. And he answers, I'm telling you, listen, if they were to be silent, the stones would cry out. In other words, if they don't keep going, creation will stop, they will, creation will start groaning. If they don't keep going, creation will. They will cry out. So Jesus is basically declaring that we were created for him. In fact, you see this in Colossians 1.16. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. Everything was created for him and for him alone. So, so listen just a second. J just as these followers of Jesus prepared the way for him, we are to prepare the way for him to move today. Let's wrap up. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you. They will surround you and hem you in on every side till they crush you and your children among you. They'll crush you to the ground and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Man, that is powerful. See, Jesus grieved over what he found in some of his own people. I mean, he, he had showed compassion on Jerusalem, but he also told them the day is gonna come when this city will lie in ruins. He wept over that city because its people did not understand the significance of what was happening before their very eyes. I mean, he had come in peace. He, he had come to make all the wrong things right. He had come to reconcile mankind back to God. He had come to change everything for them. But they did not recognize the significance of the moment. They didn't recognize the time of God's coming. They didn't recognize the fullness or the weight of the salvation that he was truly offering. And it wouldn't be long until Rome would do exactly what Jesus prophesied would happen. About 40 years later, the city would totally be destroyed. And can, can I just say this? Listen to me for a second. I believe that if we don't wake up as a society and begin to see our salvation in the person of Jesus and surrender our lives to fully to him, our city will be destroyed, so to speak. I, I believe that, that, that God has overwhelmingly over and over wept over us and sent us message after message, given us grace after grace, time after time. And if, if we don't begin to wake up and see salvation that can only be found in and through Jesus, destruction is at the door. See, apart from Jesus, we have no hope. So may we recognize the significance of Jesus' coming on this Palm Sunday. And I do, man, I believe that Jesus weeps over us. I believe he sees our situation right now, currently, and he grieves the brokenness of our land. I, I believe he grieves even more over our own personal brokenness and unwillingness to recognize him as the king of our lives, the one who can bring healing, the one who can give hope, the one who came to give us peace. But can we see it? So let's not miss it today. Let's not miss it.
Listen, we're, we're gonna continue to see things like wars and rumors of wars and plagues and pandemics. I mean, th- these are all a product of the fruit or, or maybe they're even the fruit of our brokenness. I mean, not long ago, I heard news stories talking about things that literally sounded like plagues of biblical proportions happening in different parts of the world. We're gonna keep seeing these things because it's the fruit of our brokenness. These things we can be assured will continue this side of heaven. This creation is groaning and crying out for salvation. It's longing for newness. And the good news is this. God has a plan. And because Jesus came, we can have hope and we can have peace that surpasses understanding. We can have joy even when it doesn't seem possible that we could. See, like the disciples that went to retrieve the colt and and like the followers that praised Jesus upon his arrival, we can prepare the way for Jesus today. We can prepare the way for him to do an amazing work through our humility, um, through our faith, and through our obedience, through our submission to him. He is our salvation. And lastly, I want to leave you with this God has a plan. We can prepare the way for him, but he's also, he's coming back again. He's coming back again. He's coming back for us one day. And I believe that that day is gonna be very soon. Let me remind you of Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, that, that prophecy. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you. He, he is righteous and he is victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So we are to do those things, I believe. We are to rejoice, even in a time when it feels hard to rejoice. I mean, just as Jesus fulfilled this prophecy from Zechariah on that Palm Sunday some 2,000 years ago, today we can rejoice. We can remember that we have so much to be thankful for. And we also can remember that we have hope We have hope. Uh, Let us shout in triumph, keeping in mind that God is and will be victorious. And may we stay alert. Keep our eyes lifted up. Lift your eyes. Why? Because Psalm 21 tells us in verses one and two, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Man, rejoice. Shout in triumph. Stay alert. God is at work. God has a plan. He has a plan. We can prepare the way. And listen, take heart, because he's coming back again, and he's coming for us very soon. Because of Palm Sunday, we can know Jesus is with us. Let me, let me pray for you right where you're at. Father, would you remind our hearts today that you love us, God, that you're for us, that you're with us because of Jesus, because of a personal relationship with Jesus, we can have assurance, God, that you are with us in our darkest hour, in our, in our moment of, of deepest fear. God, and in the plague and in the pandemic, God, when the world is gripped in panic and anxiety, God, we can have assurance that you're with us and we can find hope in the fact that, man, you have come and you have announced to the world that you are the king and Lord now may we surrender our lives to you Father may our lives be like those palms that we wave be like those clothes that we lay out preparing the way and Father would you be our salvation today there's many of us today 
that need you as Savior and Lord. And we pray, God, that you would pour out the gift of salvation even now. Thank you, God, that you are good and that you're holy and that you're right and that you're trustworthy. And right now I ask just for all of our friends today who are watching in this very moment, God, right now I ask that you would just increase, man, just pour out a a gift of deeper, bigger faith to trust you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.